The Start On Demand. Hey, it's Brett. It's the Tuesday edition of the podcast for The Start with Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Mackling is in Finland, and we are going to hear from him today. But the big thing that happened today, unfortunately for Loren McNabb, is she hit a deer on her way into work as she was driving in on the highway. So we're going to talk about that and we're going to gather the troops and talk about our various experiences with hitting animals or having a near miss with animals on the road or on a highway. And Jeff Braun's experience in particular still haunts him 25 years later. We're also going to speak with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology, our monthly visit of Psychology and the City. And today we're going to talk about male survivors of sexual abuse. We'll also hear from Peter Martin, who is the coordinator for No Stone Left Alone Manitoba. He's also the organizer of the Transcona Ceremony for No Stone Left Alone, which is happening on Monday, November 5th at 10 a.m. at the Transcona Cemetery on Dougald Road on behalf of the Transcona Legion. And he'll explain to us how the ceremonies have gone so far in their first two years as we approach the third annual No Stone Left Alone Ceremony. These ceremonies happen all across Canada. There are four of them coming up here in Manitoba. We're also going to meet the author of a book called Monsters. It's book two in the Reckoner trilogy. The launch is Tuesday night, tonight at McNally Robinson. And this book is not just for young adults, but in particular for indigenous young adults. He's a super interesting guy, and I really liked his t-shirt as well. I'm going to put a picture of that up on the 680CJOB Instagram. And finally... Circling back to Loren's experience with the deer, we'll speak with Barrett Miller from Fort White Alive. What should you do if you're doing 90 kilometers an hour down the highway, down a dark highway, and you see a deer in the road? McNabb, you you had a bit of an adventure this morning on the way to work. I was driving along. I'm coming up Highway 200 and I was which just... Which is which highway for the... So like St. Mary's Road. Just okay. We're just south of the city. Okay. And um, I was thinking about how I always see the deer at the same spot every morning and how I used to laugh at those signs that say deer crossing. Because yep. I was like, how do they know this is where the deer are crossing? But sure enough, they have patterns, right, that they follow. And so I see these deer at the same spot almost every day. And I know that. And so I passed a couple bales and see three deer on the side of the road and we say hello and I keep driving. Okay. We didn't really say hello, but you know what I mean? Yeah. It was typical. And then 30 seconds later, two deer are right in the middle of the road and oh. I lay on my horn and I hit one like really badly. Oh no. Yeah. Yeah. Like it, it They were just standing in the middle of the road. It was on the side and I so this is my question too because I grew up on a farm and I know enough to know you're not supposed to swerve. And so I didn't, and I did hit the brakes, and it was really wet because it had rained or it was slick out there last night. Yep. And, um, but then I honked the horn, and so the deer was on the side, and you could tell they're in the, you know, when they, they, they don't know if they're going to run which way, and it yeah. ran, and I just hit it, and it went up oh, over the front no. of the car and then underneath the car, and the, so I pulled over and stopped, and all I could think about was where that deer was because I didn't know. I mean, it's hurt or dead. Yeah. And then the car is hurt and maybe dead. (laughs) (laughs) So it was a rough morning and I didn't know. Someone should tell me about what they should do because or what would you recommend in that moment? Like, am I supposed to honk the horn? Because I I feel I feel that made it worse. And then I don't know. Am I supposed to call highways and tell them 
there's a possible wounded deer on the side of the road. Like, I just don't know. Yeah, like, who do you call at four in the morning? No, I called my husband. He didn't answer. (laughs) (laughs) Just because, and I didn't expect him to. He turns his phone on silent in the middle of the night, but I really more was just one, you know, you just want someone to hear. I just want to let you know that something bad happened, but everything's fine. It was kind of a little bit dramatic. But then after that, I really did worry about where that deer was. And so I drove ahead a little bit until I got under a light and then also went looking underneath the car because I did wonder if maybe it was trapped for a little bit. Yeah. So I felt terrible. Well, I, and I, I was shocked when I, because I got out of the shower and I saw the text message saying, I just smoked a deer. I'm okay. Car is not. I'll still be in. And I thought... Wow, that is a heated text message anyway, to have receive a nice at day. four in the morning. Yeah. And I, so good because I, I probably would be a little shaken up to, to come into work after that. So at 645, we're actually going to talk about, we're going to have coffee and talk about either our experiences with hitting animals or missing them. I've only hit one. Jeff Braun has hit one. And 25 years later, it still haunts oh, him. Wait till you hear. As soon as I walked in the room, he was... It was like he went back in time full of remorse. So, yeah, I I guess that's what sticks with you, right? You feel bad. So if you're just tuning in, very quickly, Loren, what happened to you this morning? I hit a deer. And I've been talking to Jeff Braun every morning about all the wildlife (laughs) I see on my drive. And I think it's actually the way he starts his day with me. See any wildlife today? Yeah. And I did. I did. And then I hit that poor deer. So the the front hood's crumpled. The bumper's crumpled. There's scratches all over the hood. I feel terrible about that deer. Don't throw up your hands. I feel bad. It shouldn't have got in the way. No. It's not like you did it on purpose. No, I know. But I think I did the wrong thing. Okay. What did you do? I honked the horn. Like uh, many, many times. And it was sort of, it wasn't quite in the middle of the road. It was like, it was in the middle of my lane, my side of the highway. But you had maybe three seconds. I know. So whether you did the right or wrong thing. Well, you I didn't think... honk the horn that many times. No, I, I, would say, I just laid on it, really. I wouldn't say I honked it. Like no. I just laid on it and then I hit it. So Jeff Braun, you have had an encounter with an animal, not wildlife per se, but you had one that's really stuck with you, haven't you? Oh yeah, I, I hit this cat like 25 years ago and it was a case out on the highway late at night and the highway had recently been repaved and they hadn't painted the lines on it yet, but they put the little orange flapper things on there and I'm cruising down the highway and then all of a sudden in the middle of my lane, I saw something reflecting and and my first thought was, oh, it's a cat's eyes reflecting back on me. So I slowed right down only to realize it was one of these little flapper things that had gotten loose and it was ended up in my lane. So whatever. So I keep going back at full speed, see another thing in the middle of my lane. And I was like, oh, it's another one of those flapper things. And then that one turned out to be the cat, which uh, went through all nine of its lives real quick. No. <laughs> Splat and, yeah. the cat. And every now and then it just like it haunts me. That's so. right. You were throwing up your hands at me like I was supposed to get over it. But yeah. you said to me this morning that bugs you to this day about that cat. It does. It just it's just so silly. If it wasn't for that uh, arid other little flapper thing, I would have slowed down and not hit it. But it's just, oh, it just drives me nuts. Have yeah. you ever driven across the prairies and seen the scattered yeah. debris? of? Oh, yeah. I know it happens. So yeah. you've you've hit something before and moved on quite quickly. I, I is what f- I'm getting from you. Yeah, a few times. Yeah, uh, although there was one time I remember our daughter and she just started to learn how to drive. And out in Charleswood, uh, where we were living at that time, there's a lot of wildlife. Jeff, as you'll attest yeah. to, yeah, you live out there now. And and so our daughter ran over a rabbit, and she was very distraught over that. But you know, we just said like, there's it was unavoidable. So. 
Carry on. I mostly just feel bad because I couldn't do anything about it. It's 3.40 in the morning and it's pitch black. And I, I got out and I used the little flashlight on my phone. I don't know what I was going to do if I found the deer. Like, say sorry. And then, like, <laughs> just, like walk away. Like, it's, I mean, there's nothing I could do about it. But I was, I was like, oh, deer. I, like, kind of shouted out, like, sorry about that. Yeah. I felt terrible. Forte, you had an encounter with a deer, too, didn't you? No, not me. I've never hit an animal myself. But my dad this summer, he drives a truck um, going down the highway. And out of nowhere, this little baby deer just pops out, hit it, and he looks over. And there's the mother just staring. Aww. So oh, he, was, he was heartbroken. He was like, he was devastated. But uh, what could he do? He just had to keep on driving. Yeah. Yeah, that I've, sucks. Yeah, I've okay. noticed in Charleswood, the baby deer especially are the ones. Like the grown-up, they, um, I, wouldn't, I won't say they get it. But they are less likely to just randomly run in any direction like a baby one will. Yeah. Well, this deer had a partner. Like it was, there was two deer there, yeah, and yeah. so I just feel like that other deer is just wandering I swear alone. I've, I swear I've seen deer look both ways before crossing yeah. the street in Charleswood. Though. <laughs> well, that's what I was saying this <laughs> morning. Like I, I made fun of the idea that like you can. All, I always know that just the deer are in the exact same spot. Like there really is a deer crossing. Yeah. And, and I acknowledged those deer this morning, and then kept driving, and then there were more deer. <laughs> I'm surprised that I, well, the only time I've ever hit anything, it was a rabbit, and it was just last year. It was on Academy Road and because there's so many rabbits. Yeah. And, and I'm not going to, in every neighborhood, you can just walk, go for a walk down the street and see the ones sitting uh, in any front yard. They're so brazen now that the cats uh, have to be kept indoors, right? But uh, I saw this little bunny run across the street, and, and I just I didn't have time to react because it it. it Ran at my car as I was passing, so I knew that there was no nothing I could do. I hit the brakes, but it was already by the time I reacted, it had already gone thump thump. Yeah, and I just the rest of my morning was kind of ah, oh, I just killed a rabbit, and that's not cool. If it was an ugly bug, okay, <laughs> stupid bug, you go squish now. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Like how many times how many are you bugs just wind up in your windshield? Yeah. yeah, no, I know. This deer looked at me, begged for its life with its eyes, Kelly. <laughs> I couldn't do anything about it. We have a text here from somebody saying, two years ago, me and my boss were heading to Atacokan. Am I saying that right? Heading out of Dryden. Atacokan. Heading out of Dryden. Turn on a different highway. Rock face on both sides. Turn the bend and a mama moose and baby are running down the road. We slowed down and passed them very slowly. And thank God they stayed in their lane. All went well. Uh, the closest I, I, I've come, I saw a bear running across Highway One once. It was about 200 yards up. So luckily, had we had we been there maybe five seconds later, we may have had a much closer encounter with the bear. I actually turned on Mackling's microphone because I'm a robot and I just do things out of habit because normally Mackling does the weather in well, that slot. Well, that's okay. Slot. I couldn't find the weather, so you were pointing to me and I was like, I got nothing. I got no Mackling. <laughs> I don't know how to turn on the mic, so. Well, we got some Mackling right now. He joins us live. Oh, did I do something wrong? Hang on a second here. See, I can't do anything right now. Let's try this again. Okay, Greg Mackling joins us live from Helsinki, Finland. Greg, good morning or good evening, I guess. Yeah, it's afternoon here. I actually just finished having lunch with uh, five Winnipeg Jets, so I uh, didn't know I would have to come to Helsinki to have the best pizza I'd ever have. Like the actual players and players? Oh, yeah. Well, I was three tables away. They didn't let me sit with them. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I think you left out an important detail there, Greg. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, 
it's a shades of gray, right? And speaking of gray, if I was doing weather, it is really cold here today. It's rainy. It's windy. Uh, they had snow, their first snowfall yesterday, just in time for me to land. So they're really rolling out the welcome carpet for any Winnipegers in town. Yeah, not no feeling kidding. so bad for you, Greg. I got to be honest. Yeah, okay, fair enough. It's a beautiful city. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how many people uh, listening have been here or not, but it's absolutely gorgeous, steeped in history. And I heard your comment, Brett. Uh, one of the Winnipeg contingent mentioning the pedestrian malls and effective public transportation. I've yet to take a taxi or or any other form of transportation than my seat and public transportation. There's a train that takes you right from the International Airport right downtown. It costs five euros, so about uh, almost $8 uh, one way. It was absolutely perfect. I was able to charge my phone while I was on that train. Took me came uh, right down to downtown Helsinki, and then there's a, a whole network of, of metro trains, and then the buses are there to wait for you when you get off the train. It's absolutely incredible. I've downloaded an app. Uh, for 27 euros, I can use all the public transportation, all the different modes for the entire uh, six days that I'm here. So it, it is uh, it is a sight to behold and a, a genuine pleasure to wow. deal with. So we've only got about 60 seconds here, Greg. The hockey game's on Thursday. What do you have planned for today? I'm just uh, trying to live a little bit like a local, just wandering around. I'm in a mall right now, just trying to get the lay of the land i'm a little bit obsessed with geography and knowing where i am at all times so exploring the cobblestone streets i'm going to ride some street cars today supposed to be going to just in a few minutes here i'm going to make my way to what's supposedly the the oldest orthodox church in in europe if i'm not mistaken so yeah i just uh Living like a local with a little bit of tourist stuff mixed in guys. are you seeing other Winter- winnipeggers there beyond the players like jets fans I got Go Jets Goad before I even picked up my bag at the carousel at the airport yesterday. So I had a Jets toque on, and uh, Jackie lent me her uh, fight cancer Winnipeg Jets toque. So uh, I've got a pink Jets hat on, and yep, so they're around. They're here. We're here, and we're proud. Right on, Mackling. Thank you so much for the update. And you can follow Greg on Twitter at GMACWPG if you want to see more of his adventure in Finland. And we will check in with him throughout the week here on The Start. Thank you very much, Jeff Ron. Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. Well, sort of Mackling. He's here in spirit. He's in Finland this week as the Winnipeg Jets get ready to take on the Florida Panthers for a pair of games on Thursday and on Friday. But sitting in his chair right now is our... It's time for a monthly visit for Psychology and the City with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba. You can also follow his social media efforts at Winnipeg Love. Is it WinLove? Winnipeg Love? I can't remember. WinLove.ca. WinLove.ca. Two ends. Okay. Two ends. And uh, first of all, you were just shocked at the news, Raymond, that Loren had a bit of a traumatic morning today. Yeah, no kidding. You hit a deer. I hit a deer. It's so funny because there's been a lot of people text in this morning about their own experiences. And yes. so it's such a common thing it is. in Manitoba to hit some wildlife. But, yeah. And I have had it happen, like, not as extreme as today before. But yeah. today was a real 
full-blown collision. So oh, making appointments with MPI and... Uh, oh, and you're okay? Yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah. I worry about that deer. I feel bad for the deer. I feel bad for my car. It was the yeah. car that we brought our boys home, both of them from the hospital oh. in. So oh, wow. I hope it's not... Well, who knows? It might be done. Yeah. Wow. When you said you were coming into work, I thought, I don't know that I'd be able to come into work. Well, yeah. and then my yeah. husband texted me. He's like, do not take that car home. That hood could fly up, you know, because it's all yeah. crumpled. It didn't even occur to me. I, was, I just was in the middle of the highway and thought, well, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> <Yeah>. like, so <laughs> well, I worry about you. Well, nope, I'm all good. Okay, that's good. Yes, yeah, thank you. Good. Tough as nails. This one. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't grow up on the floor. Kelly Moore is making fun of me because I feel bad about having, I think, killed this animal or definitely wounded it. Oh. And I grew up on a farm, so I yeah. get it. Like, you know, yeah. there's, there's a circle of life. I'm not going to sing the song, but, but yeah. I still feel sad about it. Do you want to sing the song, Let's Raven? sing the song. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sing that song. So the reason you're here, well, the, the, the topic that you pitched, Raymond, is about male sexual abuse Survivors. So I guess my first question to you, sir, would be what what made you want to talk about that today? Yeah, so, you know, my general, like, MO is to talk about things that we don't normally talk about. Um, you know, there's there tends to be quite a stigma in talking about a lot of topics, you know, whether it's discrimination or mental health or male survivors of sexual abuse, that when we don't talk about them, it just perpetuates more of the problem. So part of our whole public mental health initiative with our clinic is about to spread good information about things that most people wouldn't normally ask about or have the information about. So people start to feel better about who they are and move forward in their lives. And How, how prevalent would it be in terms of the, in the number of male sex really abuse survivors? Question. Yeah, so I did my master's and PhD in this topic. So it's uh, it's kind of something I spent a very long time talking or studying about. And the interesting thing is the rates vary and most of the time and, – and I think the reason for that is, is because reports vary and men tend not to report abuse but we tend not to ask about abuse. So uh, only about 3% of physicians will actually inquire uh, about sexual abuse with males as opposed to you know significantly more common with when they're asking a, a female. Meaning when someone presents with any sort of yeah. behaviors or bruises or whatever, it's Correct. very easy to say to the woman or more often said to the woman, what's going on here versus the man? Well, that's probably more easily asked generally, right? Like generally when you're when you're doing a, when you're doing a psychological intake or when you're doing a, a physical, you know, you ask about people's experiences. And so you ask, have you ever had some of these experiences? That should be a standard thing when you go through somebody's history. But with boys and men, we tend not to ask it, like only 3%. And that speaks to this, this stereotype that men are not victims or men cannot be victimized. And so we just don't ask about it. And there's a bias there. Um, but the rates are generally, you know, the conservative rates are one in six. But there's other more recent findings that will say it's almost equivalent to, to females, or to women and girls, that it's, it's one in three as well, too. Uh, but it's conservatively, it's one in six. Well, I think of that movie... It's an Adam Sandler movie. Uh, it's called That's My Boy. And uh, it was a 2012 film with him and uh, Andy Samberg. And the whole, it's a comedy where he, uh, young Adam Sandler, he gets caught on stage during an assembly having sex with one of the teachers. Mm -hmm. And he raises his arms in victory and the whole school cheers for him, right? Right. And that's kind of the running joke that if... If uh, if a male teacher were to do this with a, a female student, 
then it would be this horrible thing. But if it's the reverse, it's like, well, ha ha. Yeah. Like, so that's, you, you, you talked about how males are not seen as victims. Does this kind of movie sort of play into that? It, it absolutely does. So, you know, um, when boys or men have sex, we tend to, there's the stereotype that we tend to encourage that. We think it's typical normal male behavior. Um, even when, even when there's a power imbalance or even when the person that they're having sex with is much older than men has utilized that power against them. So that goes to show how much we push boys and men into this mold of what we think stereotypical masculinity is. And we removed their, we remove their human experience. Uh, when we don't pay attention to the abuse or the trauma. We actually yes. just put that movie on the other day and we, I shut it off. I was like, this is uh, this is horrific. Like this kid, this is not funny. This is not a scene that he should be happy with. Uh, the students shouldn't be cheering for him. The fellow teachers shouldn't be cheering for him. Yeah. But, it, but it goes to show you that even in this day and age, there's that idea that one, in one, in one hand, once something is heroic almost, and, and then the other hand, the other person's the victim. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know... Um, you're looking at me and I'm like Googling on my phone while I'm trying to talk to you. I was like, why is this guy looking away from me? No, I know um, exactly what you're doing. Yeah, and there's a there's a song that I like to point to and it speaks to the culture that we have towards masculinity. It's a John Mayer song called Daughters. And the lyrics go, you know, it's basically saying, so fathers be good to your daughters. But then the lyrics go, boys you can break. You'll find how much they can take. Boys will be strong and boys soldier on. And boys would be gone without the warmth from a woman's from a good woman's heart. And we just think about how we think boys can tolerate about all this abuse, and that the only thing that saves men and boys is you know the warmth from a good woman's heart, versus the companionship of other males who can stand up also to talk about this thing. You know, in between boys and between men, we can't talk about this stuff, and so we carry this burden on our shoulders. You know, carrying this masculinity. And so we live in a prison of our masculinity and can't talk about our own traumas. Sometimes. How much does that masculinity hold back then for guys who might want to report it? Because I would imagine for any survivor of sexual abuse, there would be, it would come with a shame. But then on top of that, when you're a male, not to say that it's worse for the male, but I would imagine that the whole masculinity, call it machismo, call it whatever, might make a guy reluctant to, to say anything. It is one of the key preventing preventing factors that prevents a man from reporting or boys from reporting abuse because they think they're supposed to tolerate it or they think they're supposed to, you know, and if they do report it, they get cheered on. They go, hey, hey, good job. Um, when, when, they're, when the perpetrator is a female or a woman, uh, when it's another male, there's another stereotype and a stigma there um, that... As much as we've moved forward in society, um, that stigma really of, of being with another male holds men back from talking about their abuse experience and they'll carry a guilt and a shame and a loss of control over it. And that is just completely self-destructive. It just tears men apart on the inside out. You look at the Catholic Church and year after year, different stories emerge from there. Yes. And it's about, uh, there, there's all sorts of issues we can delve into there, but it's also about the idea that years later, even in this day and age in 2018, so many survivors of that abuse have a difficulty saying it, even though it is so yeah. out there now, right? And so even in that particular story where we know there's an issue, yes. those survivors have a hard time admitting to it. And I think what that that story speaks to is the power that certain kind of figures can have. And we take the layer of like age and, and power and authority, but now we add religion, add that religious authority to it. And that's, you know, one more layer of shame that can add to people where they won't report the problem. 
845 and 680 CJOB. Let's pause our conversation with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology. We are talking about male sexual abuse survivors. Traffic and weather coming up immediately in three minutes on The Start. My heart and my head Now I'm starting to see Maybe it's got nothing to do with me Fathers be good to your daughters Daughters will love like you do Girls become lovers Who turn into mothers So mothers be good to your daughters too Mackling McGarry McNabb on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling is in Finland. I'm Brett McGarry alongside Loren McNabb. And in studio with us, we have somebody who is here to tell us about No Stone Left Alone as we look ahead to Remembrance Day. The coordinator of No Stone Left Alone Manitoba and organizer of the Transcona event on behalf of the Transcona Legion. In studio, we have with us Peter Martin. Peter, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. No Stone Left Alone. What is it? Well, No Stone Left Alone uh, started about 2011 out of Edmonton, and it's um, a, a lady out there was visiting her grandmother who served in the military and placing a poppy on her grave every year, and, and her daughter said, how come she gets the poppy, and what about all these other people laying in the field of honor? We should remember them as well. So they started the No Stone Left Alone, and the, and the goal is every single cemetery of a veteran in Canada, the Field of Honor should have a poppy at this time of year to say thank you and just acknowledge them. So um, a couple of years ago, they asked me, or I heard about it, and I, they asked me to get involved, and I organized the event for Transcona, and this is our third year. And actually, last year, we had 505 students, and we picked the grade six classes. So all the grade six students in Transcona, and actually a school in Balmoral participate as well, and a few of the private schools, they come to our cemetery. And they all, there's a ceremony, a brief ceremony. There's no political speeches, although there's politicians there. They're not speaking. They're there with the children placing a poppy on the grave. So they stand at our field of honor in Transcona. We have 325 graves, uh, veterans' graves, and they, there's a short ceremony, and then they place a poppy at the foot of the grave. And, and we put a Canadian flag at the foot of every grave, and the students stand there, and at the right time they place a poppy. And what we've added to our ceremony, which is, is unique to all the ceremonies in Canada, and there's 101 ceremonies, actually, 8,000 students across Canada, we have a silent salute. So I visit the schools, talk to the grade 6 students, teach them how to do a little salute, and a, a part of the ceremony is a turn to the veterans that are lined up beside me, and they offer a salute, and the veterans return the salute. And it's really an emotional connection where the veterans are saying, hey, the youth of today do care. And they do appreciate the service. They do understand because they're looking at the graves. They understand these were just regular folk from the community, people who played sports, went to school, joined community clubs, who offered their service in service of others to serve their country and to go to a faraway place to help people they didn't know, um, but they knew it was dangerous, but they knew they had to do it. And we, the students, say thank you. Well, let's so talk very... about your connection, if we could, Peter, because it's yeah. personal for you. Your dad, Paul Martin, was a World War II veteran, I uh, believe ended his time in Europe, uh, uh, was there when the, the war was declared. 
over before he came home. But born and raised in Transcona, I think he told me once he just went over because his friends thought it might be Ark. It, well, hey, great guns and oh, we wanted to fly in planes and we wanted, oh, this is wonderful stuff. But reality hit when he landed on the first wave of Juneau Beach. And that's what actually led him, when he came back to Transcona, to speak in schools in Transcona to the youth for 40 years. Because as he's running down the beach, looking at his comrades laying and dying and calling for their mothers, and he looked into their eyes and he said, and somebody has to know what these, my friends, my school chums have gone through here, and we can never let that be forgotten. And they did this for service, but we couldn't leave their sacrifice uh, lay on the beach. So he made it a mission to come back and tell the kids, here's what I saw. These are just friends of mine. But in, in a way that they could understand, it just, they made a decision. They never regretted it, but we need to years later appreciate how great it is to live in this country as a result of those sacrifices. We paid a terrible price, a high price, but it was worth it. And service uh, yeah. for Peter Martin was a lifelong endeavor. He was the last uh, mayor of Transcona. Am I, am I right on that one? He was the last mayor of Transcona, yes. And uh, and he received the, the Medal of Honor from France, the highest honor. He received just a couple of years before he passed away. And he, and he loved that. There's even a street named after him, I there's think, in Transcona, right? There's yes. a street named after him. Now there's, a, there's actually a senior's home named after him. They call it Sir Paul Martin Estates in Transcona. What Where's the this? street? Sorry, it's off Ravelstone there in Transcona. Ravelstone and Plessy Road, there's a building, and it's a, and, and unique. The seniors on one side and, and families on the other side joined together through a common area. It's called Sir Paul Martin Estates. Okay. Yeah, well, so it's, but, but what I do, this is just, it is about the youth. And it's about them actually physically um, expressing appreciation because when we bring them to the, cem- to the cemetery next Monday, November 5th, the buses start arriving, at 12, 13 buses arriving at the cemetery around 9.30 and 10.15. The students are all lined up and you would not believe how polite, respectful these kids are. When the buses arrive and they get off the bus, they're walking single file, picking a grave, reading the inscription, and I tell them, think about your ancestors and relatives who serve that may not be here. Think of them while you're staring and reading the the inscription on the grave tombstone in front of you. And and, and they're so, they're just not a word. And I, I tell them, okay, we're gonna sing O Canada. They sing, I stand at attention, they stand at attention. These youth of today, there's lots of hope. Well, we talk about being worried as we go forward, and not about the youth, but about worried that we'll lose these stories, worried that people won't be able to acknowledge in the same way the sacrifices that men like your father and women made all over this world. And to hear that, it's nice to know that that they they get it. They're they're fantastic. The the youth do care, and there's lots of emotion on the veterans. There's tears flowing. And I even tell the adults who are there observing, if you have relatives buried elsewhere in the cemetery that aren't in the field of honor, we give them a poppy, take it to their grave and make sure they're honored because not every veteran or soldier is buried in the field of honor. But my goal is everyone gets acknowledged and we say thank you. Peter, when you get these kids, these grade six students, and come out uh, to participate in this and put a poppy on uh, the tombstones at the site, do you ever learn of stories? Like, did the kids ever say, hey, I, I, someone in my family went to war? Yeah, absolutely. This is what's exciting because the kids actually get excited about bragging about one of their family members who served. I mean, yesterday I spoke with my friend Ray Litke. He's assisting me. We went to the school, and I'm asking the children, raise your hand if you know somebody who served. And they're all raising their hand over half of the class. And one young girl, uh, I questioned her. I said, oh, do you have a relative who served? Yep, but he was in, in Africa. 
I said, okay, that's fantastic. When you're at the cemetery, think of that person. She said, we're not sure what happened to him. We think he's dead. I said, you know what? Offer some good thoughts and prayers when you're at the cemetery about your ancestor. And I said to all the kids, think of your family members who served because they did something wonderful for the country. And I said, things that we see today, a lot of that would not have happened if it wasn't for that high price they paid. So think of those relatives. So the kids actually get excited about sharing about their family members who served. And I also stress that it doesn't matter if they were in battle or not in battle. This was a team effort, so there's many who don't feel that they contributed a lot, but hey, we had people making uniforms, people making bullets, people cooking, people fixing. All of those are so important. So think of all your family members who served in any way and say thank you and appreciate what they've done. There's probably children with or students with a personal connection, but then there might be just those who didn't know anybody but still feel connected to it in a way. Do you ever see any emotion from the kids or I tears see, even when they don't they don't know a family member or have one? Well, it really connects because you know in this day and age, it's easy to look around what we have and assume that it's always been there. But I stress very carefully that it, there was a risk that we would have had a lot of this taken away. We wouldn't have been able to enjoy this. There was a big risk. That's why we, we went to fight and help others in other countries. But yeah, it could have been gone, but appreciate it. Other things you got to do. Do you think that the, that young people of today get it that they're you know that they're on board with Remembrance Day and the fact that this is an important day that that should not be forgotten? You know, I really do. I, I distribute poppies at the mall, and you know, it's surprising how many of the youth. Look, and they really want, and, and we don't sell poppies, we accept donations. So I see the youth come, they looking, oh, mom, can I have a poppy? Oh, I don't know if we can afford it. I, I purposely give, here, make sure you wear a poppy. We just want people to wear a poppy. And it's funny, the youth are really looking at wanting to wear a poppy more and more these days. So I think the trend is there, and I, I think they appreciate uh, the, the remembrance and the act of remembrance. There's, there was a time, and perhaps there still is a time among some, where, where there was a worry that as the generations of soldiers die. Uh, your father was a World War II veteran, passed away in 2016. Is yes. that right? And so, you know, with his stories and where, where do they go if they're not passed along? But it sounds to me like you're saying that they, it, we've, we've now on the other side of that pendulum swing and the next generation is getting ready to carry forward some of these stories. See, that's right. And that's why we incorporated the silent salute of appreciation at our ceremony because of my father's last speech at Ecole Centrale. Told the students, I'm not speaking here anymore. I'm 94. It's, I've done it 40 years. But if you see me in the mall, just offer me a little salute and I'll know that you really appreciate. So as he left that school that day down the hallway, all the kids were lined up with a salute. And my dad was crying all the way out to school saying, hey, they understand. And they, they, so now I incorporate the children. I teach them. And at the cemetery, I have veterans lined up. And the students turn at part of the ceremony, offer them a silent salute and saying, Thank you. And it's, and it's our veterans return the salute and say, you're welcome. What do you think your That's dad would think of that now, Peter? Yes. Peter Martin is our guest. He is the coordinator of No Stone Left Alone Manitoba and organizer of the Transcona event on behalf of the Transcona Legion. The website is nostoneleftalone.ca slash Manitoba. Transcona Cemetery, 5014 Dougald Road, next Monday, November 5th at 10 a.m. Then at Elmwood Cemetery on 88 Hespler Avenue on the 6th at 10 a.m. There's a ceremony in Brandon as well and on the 5th and Portage the Prairie on the 7th. Peter, thank you for coming in and thank you for uh, doing for doing this. This is great. Thank you. We appreciate your promoting Remembrance. Thank you. I want to read something from a book here. It's called Monsters. Cole Harper is struggling to settle into life in Wounded Sky First Nation. 
He may have stopped a serial killer, but the trouble is far from over. A creature lurks in the shadows of Blackwood Forest. The health clinic is on lockdown by a mysterious organization, and long-held secrets threaten to bubble to the surface. Can Cole learn the truth about his father's death? Why won't Chotch give him a straight answer? Where the heck is Jane? Oh, and high school sucks. Monsters is the second novel in the Reckoner trilogy. The launch is tonight at McNally Robinson, and the writer is David A. Robertson. He joins us now live in studio. Dave, welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming. And I should point out as well, Dave is wearing a Thundercats t-shirt, the original Thundercats, not the weird remake that uh, recently came out. So I salute you, sir. Love the t-shirt. I appreciate when people recognize the M. I, I didn't get that, but I like it. I like it nonetheless. Yeah, I'm a big nerd, so of course I would get it. So so I, I, I give you a pass on that, Loren. So <laughs> I, I was not involved in booking this. Loren, how did this come to your attention, this this Reckoner trilogy? Well, we talked to David a number of times uh, over the years, first with Global Television and some of your previous books. Uh, we talked to you last month about the whole series First Contact, which brought, uh, I, I guess, Caucasian white Canadians into First Nation communities to give them a sense of what's going on. And we had a, a good debate about that. And then mm. you mentioned that you were working on this series. And so we thought we'd get you in to talk about it. It, it is a trilogy. This is the second book. Um, talk, tell a little bit about how it was born. Yeah, I mean, this originally it was going to be a TV show um, years ago. And uh, we went as far as getting into the writer's room. We developed scripts for it. And it never went to camera. So uh, eventually I got all the rights back to the story. And I decided I really wanted it to be out there and uh, pitched it to my publisher as a, as a book series, a young adult book series. And, uh, and, and they thought it was a, a good idea. So I started writing them you know, about two or three years ago. And um, yeah, it's something that's been percolating for about a decade. So it was nice to finally to, to finally be able to write them. What's percolating? What's the idea in your head that was born a few years ago in terms of and, and what, how did it get you here? The, the idea started with what? It kind of was looking at how stories are told, first of all, on TV. So some of the things that are done really well, like on Lost, uh, was one of my favorite shows of all time. And then the things that Lost also did that were infuriating, you know, bringing up mysteries that weren't ever solved <laughs> and things that they added in that they don't address and I wanted to kind of do a series like that, that had a lot of mystery and a lot of kind of claustrophobic feeling, um, but that answered everything. And uh, and also talking a lot about representation uh, in literature for Indigenous peoples. And I wanted to have like a really truly authentic, like Indigenous superhero um, that would uh, have agency and that would have, um, you know, real thoughts and emotions and feelings. And, and, and so I, that was important for me as well in the, in the story. So that's where kind of this story all kind of came from. Well, and just looking at the back of the book here, Monsters, which is the second book in the Reckoner trilogy, and there's a, a description here from one C. Chachanoff, literary expert, uh, canonical confidence, and it says, The real treat here, once again, is Chach, who jumps off the page and is literally the best character ever written in the <laughs> history of young adult indigenous supernatural mystery. That's fairly high praise. Is that, uh, you know, when you saw that those words written about your words, what was your reaction to that? Well, actually, you know, Chach wrote that himself. <laughs> oh, are you kidding me? Okay, I was, is... was going to make a joke. The follow-up was going to be, was this, did this person like it just because of Chach? He was, Chach... Chach reviews every book that he's in. Okay. So he re- there's actually there are actually actually some like authentically like real reviews of the book, but that one is is a kind of a side joke. So Chach is a super is, is Chach a superhero? No, he's the he's a coyote trickster. He's a coyote okay. spirit of the book, and he's kind of the guy who is Cole's guide, but also his a uh, little bit nemesis because he he messes with him as he wants to, but he also 
uh, has good good intentions. He wants Cole to save this community, um, but along the way, he um, he messes with Cole, he messes with me, he messes with the reader, and he kind of he breaks the fourth wall and he kind of does whatever he wants. So he was the kind of the character that just kind of got away from me. Like ba- a bad guy, good guy. Like you love him and you hate him. I think you. I think most readers love him um, because he's he's hilarious, um, but he's also very frustrating, as he should be. So how much of the, of your own personal sense of mischief then gets uh, gets into this story? Because I'm getting the, the sense that you kind of like to, to, to play with uh, the reader um, and you sort of you know, like your character is a trickster. So how much of that comes from you? Well, my wife would say a lot. Uh, you know, um, I, I have five kids, so um, she often would tell, say that I'm the, I'm the sixth child. Uh, so I like to mess around with the kids and, and forget to be a dad sometimes and and um, I probably mess around with her a little too much as well. Um, so um, that I think there's a lot of me and Shaj, there's a lot of me and Cole. Those are probably the two characters in the book that uh, I most like, for sure. <laughs> like, do you like to do pranks on your own, or at least uh, like not? I don't want to say mess with people's minds, but like you know, say like my husband will be like, "Guess how much this costs? Six thousand dollars." Like we're now going into debt, <laughs> and he thinks it's funny, right? Like there's all those kinds of things that people do. Is that your personality? A little bit. I also like to do a lot of self-deprecating humor as well. A lot, the best person to make fun of is, is yourself, I think. So I try to, I try to do that, that as well, a lot as well. And I do, the, I do the dad pun jokes. I have five kids, so it's something that, um, you know, as a dad, I think you're obligated to do it. So that's a, that's, I do a little bit of all of that. I love dad jokes. I love bad puns, so I get it. Yeah, those are, they're, they're big winners uh, with both of us. <laughs> so given that this is still a book for, uh, for youth and uh, particularly uh, with Indigenous uh, kids, how have they reacted to the, the first book, Strangers, and now uh, this new book, Monsters? I think in general the reaction has been really great just for youth in general. Um, for Indigenous children and, and kids and adults, even I find there's a couple things in this book that really that are really important. One of them is in, in literature. Um, it's 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 important to have to, to be able to for them to see themselves reflected in it. Uh, there aren't there aren't a lot. There are more now, but there historically haven't been a lot of books that represent Indigenous peoples in a really truly authentic way. And so and and, and kids kids in particular for this book. So. Seeing themselves in the book uh, is important. It's empowering. Um, and then for all all youth, uh, one thing in this book that I wanted to address was mental health. And and when I the last month or so going around talking to classrooms across across country, the country, um, I always have a couple of kids come up to me afterwards and talk to me about their anxiety and their mental health issues and how hearing it from me and from this book has been important for them to be able to talk about it themselves. And that's that's the goal that I had. As, as fun as this book is, the goal that it has were, were those kind of more serious things. And and I, I found that borne out in, in the kids that I've spoken to, which is really a rewarding thing for me to, to see as well. Because personally, you've, uh, you've had your own challenges with mental health and the characters in the book also struggle with it too. Right. I mean, so Cole uh, in the book um, is trying to be a superhero, but also every superhero has a weakness and his perceived weakness is the severe anxiety that he goes through. And certainly for me, it was a way for, to talk about my own mental health struggles. Um, the last 10 years have been uh, really, really tough for me uh, at times, and, and I deal with pretty severe anxiety. And so one of the things that I have found that been, has been important for me is to talk about it and to have discussions about it with people. And, and I think two things come from that. One of them is you realize that um, you're not alone. And I think that when you deal with these things, sometimes you think that um, I'm the only person who could possibly go through this. No one, can, no one could feel this way. And I think realizing that other people do is 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 really uh, healing. Um, and sharing sharing with others, uh, I think, is is something that is very important. So you you realize that you're not alone. 
and you can you can share those experiences with others and and those kind of group settings and seeing it other characters are going through it, even a fictional character, I think is really important to, for kids to see. Well, how many kids go into school every day with that sort of wall up, you know, not letting someone in or not wanting to show that they're upset about something because that's their biggest fear, and then go home and just feel that sense of aloneness. Whether they're struggling with anything or not, it's pretty pretty common scenario for adults too while we're at it. Yeah, we want to fit in, right? And, and I think when we feel different, um, it's hard for us to feel like we do. And, uh, and not that I think fitting in is, isn't all that important. It is for a kid, though. And, 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 but to understand that being different and feeling differently is okay uh, and that um, it doesn't make you weak and it doesn't make you uh, alone, uh, that's a very important thing for a kid to, to know and, and an adult, frankly, as well. Our guest is David A. Robertson. He is the author of Monsters, which is book two in the Reckoner trilogy. The launch is tonight at McNally Robinson. What time tonight, Dave? It's at 7 p.m., and uh, it's hosted by Katerina Vermet, and, um, and the proceeds for the night are going to the Anxiety Disorders Association of Manitoba. Um, so the publisher is donating, uh, and I'm donating my, my royalties to the organization as well. And here is uh, an actual review. Are These ones are real reviews? <laughs> no, the, the other three are, are actual real ones, yeah. <laughs> Praise for Strangers, a truly original superhero, highly recommended. And another one says, a promising new series with a striking hero and a coyote spirit. Had Mackling not absconded with uh, the first book in the series, I'd, uh, I'll have to wait until We'd he... We'd be more up on it, yeah. Well, this is the thing. He took it to read it, but I, I guarantee... Maybe he read it on the plane. On the way, I'll, I'll... Well, he said he had it. Okay. So we'll have to test him when he's back. And just to keep everyone hooked, you mentioned that at the end of this second book, your own publisher, editor, threw the book at the wall. She was so animated about the ending. So that's the tease for the third book. <laughs> it has a very um, shocking ending, and that's why my, the third book comes out in the spring. It was supposed to come in the fall, but my publisher wanted to come out early because the ending is is pretty shocking, so they didn't want people to have to wait too long. So or be furious with you for several months. Mad, or to be too mad at me, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Dave, thank you so much for coming in. Pleasure to meet you in person. We appreciate And again, kudos on the Thundercast t-shirt. Thanks for noticing, and thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Brett McGarry with Loren McNabb. Greg Mackling is in Finland this week. And if you're just tuning in and missed it this morning, Loren McNabb, what did you do this morning on your way to work? I hit a deer and I hit it very, very hard. And I probably killed that deer. And I think I may have killed the car. Well, Barrett Miller from Fort White Alive is here. Join- oh, hang on a second. I did it again, Forte. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just going to tell Forte to bring on the our guest here. Thank you very much. Barrett Miller is here. Barrett, how are you? I'm doing well, uh, Loren. Sorry to hear about your car. I'm sorry, too. I mean, it might be fine. I'm hoping the car's fine. I have lots of sentimental attachment to the car, but it got me out thinking so many things, Barrett, because I live south of the city, so I know we've talked in the past about the, that being sort of a real corridor for wildlife, especially this time of year, and so I'm certainly mindful of it. But in that moment, as you're approaching the deer, I really didn't know if I should honk the horn, flash my lights. It's all happening you know, it was so quickly. And so we wanted to bring you on just to ask a couple of those questions. I mean, what is the appropriate response? Okay, if a deer is jumping out onto the road in front of you, um, if it is safe to do so, like if there's not somebody following too closely behind you, hit the brakes, um, slow down. Uh, any collision that you have at a slower speed is better than one at a higher speed. If you have the option to steer a little bit, steer to where the deer is coming from, not where it will be going to. And, you know, at high speed, like I'm assuming this is a highway thing, um, hitting, the, hitting the brights, flashing the lights, hitting the horn, 
doesn't give the deer time to react, the best thing to do is try slow down. Yeah, I did. I yeah. hammered on the horn and I thought as soon as and then I hit the brakes and then I swerved to the not swerved, but tried to go away from the yep. deer. Which So basically I did everything opposite of what you're telling me to do here. And then I got out and I felt really terrible for this this animal because I hit it and then I think I ran over it. And so then my my next question was, I wondered if like, what can you do if you know you've possibly hurt that animal? But, okay. you're, but you're alone um, on the highway, right? Yeah, if you're alone on the highway but have a cell phone, you're never truly alone in terms of cell coverage area. Call the local police agency or Manitoba Conservation. Um, the police will come and help you out if you're hurt, get you the help that you need. Um, and conservation will come and help that animal uh, or make sure that that animal doesn't cause a hazard for other people. Now, you mentioned if you have the opportunity to slow down, i.e. there's no one behind you. What if there is someone behind you? In that case, um, they still should be watching. You still should try to slow down. Um, If you have no other option but to hit an animal, um, it's always better to do it at lower speed. Um, You might not save the animal, but the life you save might be your own. This, you know, is this, I always tell my kids at this time of year, love is in the air for the deer. Is that right? Love is, is definitely, well, <laughs> Well, mating is in the air. Um, Maybe not love. Having, <laughs> yeah, having seen it a few times, I wouldn't call it love. But yeah, no, um, the male deer are definitely following the female deer who are coming into their readiness for mating. And, oh. and so, so that's why I'm seeing so many of out, them, out there this yeah, time of year. Yeah, and if a female is not quite ready, but the buck just isn't getting it, he might chase her out onto a roadway. So if you see one deer, you're probably going to see more deer. So always slow right down. Even if it doesn't look like it's crossing, you don't know who's coming behind it and what it might do. Barrett Miller, Fort White Alive. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate the time. Thank you. Drive safe. Jeff Forte, something's going on in my spot here, so I'll let you to ask you to put him on hold. There you go. I figured out the problem. Though, Did you hear here. the part about the deer chasing the other deer? I mean, we need to have him back. Yeah. This female deer is trying to get away from the male, and the male's not having it. So he's just chasing her onto the highway? Boys and typical boy and girl stuff, I That's, guess? You know what? Not in this day and age, okay? Stop chasing. She said no. That deer said no and is now probably dead as a result. So She's Loren McNabb. <laughs> I'm Brett McGarry. Jeff Forte is in Master Control. Greg Macklings in Finland. Thank you for joining us on The Start on CJOB. The Start On Demand is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.